This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon, wherever you happen to be in this, at least here in L.A., lovely Sunday morning. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, along with my Instagram Live, as people are coming in to uh, join. Hey, and hopefully you're all having a good morning. So uh, anyway, we're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to answer any questions you may have. Talk about anything you want to talk about about your pets, or maybe not about your pets. (laughs) If you want to just talk about something else, sure, why not? Uh, We're we're all friends. So um, anyway... As you know, I like to uh, peruse the veterinary news, kind of let you know what's going on in the world. But with two of our audiences here, both Instagram and Pet Life Radio, I'd love to hear some questions that you may have. So uh, how to get a hold of me? Well, here on Instagram, you can just write the questions, tell me what you want to say uh, on your chat, and I will answer them. Here at Pet Life Radio, a couple of ways. You can call us toll-free, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. And you can also reach me live here. Easier, better is just kind of telemedicine. You go on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, scroll to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and click on the Zoom link there, and you will have me live, hopefully, with your pet. And we have another question coming in, so may as well get to that question right away. How long is the full recovery from a neuter surgery? Well, it all really depends on the dog and also the technique. I started doing laser surgeries I'm like 20 years ago. I'm so far ahead of the curve. People thought I was nuts. I find the difference. So when it first came in, it's a very expensive piece of equipment. So what I started doing is I would opt for the client. If you would like me to use laser, it's an extra 75 bucks, okay? Well, I liked it so much. I said, to heck with 75 bucks. I'm going to do it anyway. It's quicker. There is no bleeding. They heal better. There's less pain. And this is what I found out when I had my shoulder surgery for my rotator. I was talking to the surgeon. I told him before surgery, look, I'm very active. I play ball. I play basketball every week and I'm lefty. I need my shoulder. So I know you guys want to go arthroscopically, but if you have to cut me to achieve the result I need, cut me. I don't care. So sure enough, he wakes me up. I blew everything. My Terry's major, Terry's minor, supraspinatus, biceps tendon, you name it. I mean, I remember what happened. I was snowboarding and, um, and I took a really weird fall and it was very sudden, very acute. I say, if you could hear a tendon tear, I heard it. I knew it. I just knew it right away. I couldn't lift my head. I mean, it was terribly. So anyway, I said that to the surgeon. So anyway, he wakes me up after the surgery and he says, I cut you. I said, fine. I mean, my scars, you can't even barely see it anyway. And he says, but he made a comment because I recovered from surgery. You know, they gave me pain meds. They gave me anti-inflammatories. I, they wanted me to get that circulating ice machine. I did nothing. I was back in my office. I was doing surgery two days later. I took one day off after surgery. He thought I was nuts. Everybody thought I was nuts. I probably am, but I couldn't help it. I had to, I can't not be there. So I had this band that went around my body and had my, my arm to my, so I couldn't move my shoulder at all. And I was, I was doing surgery like this. And, uh, but anyway, I had no pain. I didn't take any pain meds. I had no swelling. I said to him, John, is that weird? He goes, no. One thing, there's a lot of this post-inflammatory, post-surgery inflammation. It's because of the bleeding inside. And he said, by me being in there and seeing and control all the bleeders, you probably had no bleeding. And that's why you had no inflammation and much less pain. And that's what I find with laser, because these animals do so much better because there's little to no bleeding when you use laser and the animals recover very well. And when you do laser surgery on a dog, 
you are doing it kind of like on a cat where you're going into the scrotum. Scrotums are very vascular. And that's why they don't usually do it typically. And they use what we call a pre-scrotal incision if you're going to use a scalpel blade. But with laser, we do scrotal. And now you have an empty sac. I'm trying to be less graphic than well, I can't, I can't sugarcoat it really. But you have an empty sac and there's no tension on the suture line. Zero. Whereas when you do pre-scrotal incision, you still have skin and you have some tension. So Anyway, that's why I think that uh, it really depends on the dog. It depends on the technique. I've had dogs literally running around the next day. So uh, it's amazing. Some of them could take a week. If it goes longer to the week or sometimes the old-fashioned way, if you do pre-scrotal, the scrotum can fill up with blood or serum, and that uh, it makes them uncomfortable. They may be a little slower. But I'd say most of my patients are up and walking, I mean running, uh, within a few days, and I would be surprised if it takes longer than a week. And now, if it's an older dog, then yes, just the surgery in general. Then it's more the anesthesia than the actual surgery that might be having a, a prolonged effect. So anyway, any more questions, please ask. Otherwise, we are going to uh, do some of the stuff I, I found. Number one, if your dog is eating raw meat, this is very interesting because I'm not a big fan of raw meat unless there is some technique in the processing of the meat to eliminate the bad bacteria, Listeria, Campylobacter, E. coli, Salmonella. So for example, one thing we can use is HPP, high pressure pasteurization. All right. Another one is freeze-dried. But when you feed raw meat, check this out, that antibiotic-resistant E. coli was found more frequently in the feces of dogs eating raw meat than those that do not eat raw meat. So what's the big deal? It's the dog, right? No. People and pets can spread bacteria to one another, so raw meat should be avoided unless it's freeze-dried or HPP. So you need to check. Just taking that hamburger meat out of the fridge and giving it raw, probably not a good idea. And the problem is that you're not touching necessarily dog's butt, but dogs lick their own behinds, okay? Or they lick other dogs' behinds, and then they lick themselves, and then you pet them, and you think, oh, I'm just petting, I'm just going to eat my sandwich, I'm not going to... Well, you see how easy, these are bacteria, microbes, so it is so easy for you to pick up bad bacteria from a dog without even going near its hind end. It picked it up, it cleaned itself someplace else, they turned around, licked himself, biting a flea, you pet the dog, you can see how it can happen. So the recommendation is stay away from raw meat unless you, it's gone through one of those processes. Now, this was also really cool that dogs seem to be able to read our intentions. This is really a cool study. Check it out. Now, you drop something, all right? And when is an, a, an intentional drop and the dog goes up, you go, ah, and you do that a few times, it will no longer go after the item that you dropped or a piece of food, whatever it is. But if you make it look like it was an accidental drop, right? And all of a sudden it fell from your hand, then they will not only go after it, they will push you out of the way to get to it. So they can sense when something is done intentionally and then you reprimand them, they will no longer drop it. Work on it with it. But if you're holding something and it starts dropping, then you try to like go catch it, they'll go after it and they'll beat you to it. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Now, I just had to do this last day. So I can tell you for sure this next one has a, a really good point. And that is, so I have five cats and one of them is a magnificent orange tabby long hair. And even a long hair cat, you know, cats groom themselves. They don't often need to be bathed unless they are in their outdoor and get into something. So that he started to get a couple of mats, two areas on each side. I guess they were areas he just couldn't reach. And it was getting to the point where it was, it was a problem. So I said, okay, I'm going to get out my de-shedding comb and I'm going to brush these things out. 
at first he hated it. But after a while, he started to actually like it. And they enjoyed he like enjoy it. I had one cat. This was one of my cats that he was an American ragdoll. His name was Raggedy Andy. We used to call him Andy. He was super a great cat, an absolutely stunning cat. And I keep taking out, I would get out the brush and literally, literally, he would roll over on his back and just spread. <laughs> okay, do it. Just do it. He loved it. So Cats do enjoy it. And the question here is regular brushing, it removes dirt, dead hair, dandruff, and minimizes shedding and therefore hairball production. And they usually, and I said this, if you do it right, you do it smooth and you do it kind of fun and gentle, they actually get to the point where they actually like it. And then it, it would be a, a wise thing to do because a healthy coat, just like with dogs, a healthy coat actually protects them from the elements. It protects them from the heat. So unless you have a cat, that is so matted that there's no way you're going to get these mats out, even with anesthesia and combing them out, and you do a shave down, that's okay. But remember that this coat that normally protects them from heat will not have that ability to protect them from heat because there's no coat anymore. So anyway, that's why it's very important to brush them as well, help them along. You have to do it every day, like some dogs you do, I mean, or even a couple times a week, but get them in the habit of having it done. It'll help their coat, help the hairball production, give them a cleaner coat, smell better, and it'll be easier for them to groom and they kind of enjoy it. So uh, I think that's uh, just some good, healthy news. Again, here on Pet Life Radio, you can get me 877-385-882. Join me here live at Pet Life Radio. So before the break, one other story. And this is really, really sad. I always do this. Sometimes I give ones that are really cool, and this one's really sad, and I, you can't help but report on everything. So in San Antonio, Texas, and many parts of the country, the heat is actually killing dogs. Two dogs died after being left outside. Vets in San Antonio, are, they're seeing burned paws. And we talk about this all the time. If blacktop, especially asphalt, it's really hot. It retains heat. If you are going to walk your dogs, if you don't want to walk on it barefoot, your dogs, it's not good for your dogs either. Make sure you put some sort of booties on them. Coming in with raw paws, they're calloused, blisters. I mean, it's really, and they don't want to walk. They're, they're like trying to not put their weight on the feet on the dog. And one dog was found dead in a backyard. Check this out. They brought the dog in, all right, to the, the uh, doctor. I don't know if it was 100% dead. I think it was. It had to have been because, how do I know this? She took the dog's temperature. Now, mind you, dog's temperature normal is 100.5 to 102.5. If you have a dog that's been outside, or in the car, getting stressed, getting super excited. Could it go up to 103 and still be okay? Yeah, yeah. But this is unbelievable. 120 degrees. The dog had a temperature of 120. Can you imagine that dog was being burnt up from the inside? And that is so sad. So uh, anyway, you want to be really, really careful. There's a good question that came in about from Noor, um, patient that had mild allergic reaction after receiving Nexgar for generalized immunocosis. Would you expect a reaction because of the medication or because of the dying mites? Okay, I will um, bring that to you in just a second when we come back. That's the first question we're going to answer. We're going to break for our commercial breaks right here. And um, that's a good one, Norse. I don't want to wait till we all get back, and I'll do it on both. So if there's any other quickies, ah, yes, we'll talk about that one. So when we come back, we're going to talk about Nexgard or any of the isoxazoline, flea and tick medications, and some possible drug reactions. And uh, But don't go away, and uh, we'll see you back here in a minute after these short words. Be right Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. 
there is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here at Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff, along with my Instagram Live, and getting a lot of great, great questions. All right, so uh, here we go. Dr. Jeff, I had a, a patient that's also a, a veterinarian that had a mild allergic reaction after receiving Nexgard for demodicosis. Okay, so I don't think it's from the, the demodicosis itself. I have, you know, even the old days, we used to use Mitoban dips and, and things to control the demodex. Even some of the ivermectins might help, they say. But I have never had a dog have a reaction to dying mites. So I would think, knowing that as much as I love isoxazolines and I use them like crazy, I recommend them. You know, we do know the potential link to seizure activity in dogs that typically have had a predisposition already to seizures. Some argue that, no, it can cause seizures from out of scratch. When I talk to my friend, you know, Mike Dryden over at K-State, Kansas State, he has not seen that. Most of the dogs, most of the cases have been in dogs that have already had some seizure activity or evidence of some other neurologic problems. But if it's just a mild jug reaction, but it's killing the mites, I would say, you know what? Hopefully that reaction is going to be gone in a couple of days. The next guard is good for a month or even three weeks if you're trying to use it to, to, for an active demonicosis. I've had a lot of luck with Provecto with demonicosis. Even that, even though it's good for 12 weeks, I use it more often. So anyway, that would be my guess. If it was the drug, you might see it again. If it's the drug and you want to try one of the others, try Semperica, try Cadelio, and see if you get the same thing. As I said, because I've never seen reactions from dying mites. So anyway, my thought, you might want to check with uh, a dermatologist and see if they had that uh, a problem, but I think that uh, it would be okay. Look at this. This is really cool. Lisa, thank you for sharing. I live in Arizona. We posted signs on neighborhood mailboxes showing the temp, sidewalk, and asphalt temperatures. That's good because in Arizona, it gets really, really hot. I remember the first time I was in Phoenix, it was for a cousin's wedding. It was a weekend affair. It was great, by the way. So I fly in on a Friday, and I'm, we're waiting in the airport for the van. They arranged for a van to pick us up. And we're waiting. And there were some railings just outside the airport. This is 25 years ago. And so I put my bag down, and I put my hands on the railing to j- jump up and sit on the railing and wait. Ouch! Ouch! I burned my hands and burned my butt. So, no, it, it gets pretty hot out there. It was definitely way over 100 degrees. So, uh, yeah, that's... Five dogs, I'm lucky. Yes, I am. And five cats. So I'm really lucky. Let's see. It says our new kitten, they want to wait until he's six months. I agree. Six months old, Mama Sue, that, that would be my earliest. Let's go with another. We just talked about the sad story of excessive heat in San Antonio, Texas. So, okay. So you think heat's on one side. How about flooding on the other? This coming from St. Louis, Missouri. They had torrential rains, flash flooding, and they uh, one of the shelters had somehow like 30 animals, and they were in downstairs in the basement of the shelter, and many of the animals died. They got flooded. They couldn't get to them in time, and they drowned. 
Can you imagine? I mean, you, you think down in a basement, you're going to be pretty safe from everything. Think of the hurricanes. When I lived in New York, we lived in New York. We had, we all had basements and it would protect us from the hurricanes. And so there, the flooding was so bad. It got into the building, got down the staircase or the elevator shaft. I don't know if it had an elevator shaft, but certainly down the staircase. So from one extreme of heat, excessive heat to the other extreme of excessive water, all within in the same week in different parts of the country. And you can see flash flooding in many parts of the country. I remember interesting talking about Midwest in Kansas City, Missouri, every August is the Central States Veterinary Conference. And they had so much rain that when I was coming taking the, uh, this was before, during taxi season, when there were taxis, you know, didn't have anything else. You didn't have lift, right? So the taxi driving in from the highway from the airport to the downtown Kansas City. And I remember always seeing it was a baseball, it was a park with a couple of softball fields. You couldn't see them. They were still two months later, two months later, still covered in water. So, I mean, that's insane when you think about it. So um, anyway, it is crazy, but weather both ends can really be a problem. Ah, my thoughts on giving clients children's time out to hurt, hurt dog. Okay, I just took an airbed case and they were told to give acetaminophen. All right. I am not a big fan. The only non-steroidal that people may have in their home that might be okay for dog is meloxicam. We recommend against the naproxen, which is naproxen, uh, against ibuprofen. Some say there are doses that are safe. You know what? We have so many good animal approved from the droxicib to the rimadil, carprofen, vetprofen, whatever, to um, meloxicam, medicam, that you know, I'm okay with not giving the people stuff. I'll tell you, the only non-steroidal that I still recommend in a pinch, and I've checked it out with my, you know, good friend, Justine Lee, board certified toxicologist and emergency medicine critical care. And that is good old fashioned buffered aspirin. You can use buffered baby aspirin. It's one baby aspirin, 81 milligrams for every, say, 15 to 20 pounds of body weight. So you have a 60 pound dog, you can give one adult aspirin. Don't overuse it. Don't do it a lot. Okay. But I will recommend aspirin in a pinch if someone has a hurt animal over some of the other medications. Now, interestingly, by technically acetaminophen, Tylenol is not an NSAID. It's not a non It works differently and it probably is okay. I've heard a lot of veterinarians recommend it in low doses. So it probably is okay, but I will go with baby aspirin. And back to Argentina, they had a couple of years ago, dogs learned to sleep above the water quota. So they, they knew where they could sleep just in case that water level was going to rise. What are some common causes for bladder stones? Bladder stones usually are related to diet and also the, the animal's own metabolism. So it was thought, for example, it was ash content. And then this was a big problem with cats with formerly FUS, now FLUTD, feline lower urinary tract disease, that it was ash. So if you looked at the, if you wanted to avoid the ash content, but it's not that. And then it was, you know, down to the magnesium level. Well, it wasn't just magnesium. It's what type of magnesium salt went into the food and how it left the urinary pH. And magnesium salts that left the urinary pH above seven and a half, those were the ones that were causing problems with this stone formation, struvite formation, FLUTD, sludge, et cetera. As long as the urine remained acidic, it would control those stones, and those are the most common. However, however, there are certain stones that thrive in acid urine, like urate, and you want to make them higher pH. 
So you have to kind of evaluate, and that's why it's so important when we have to remove bladder stones. You want to do a crystallographic analysis and culture because you might find that it's bacteria, all right, and the effect that bacteria has on the urinary pH and stone formation. It could be diet, and it could be just the animal's own body. We know, for example, the Dalmatians are commonly will get the urate calculi. So that's why it's critical that we know also breed predilections and certain medications that we can use to minimize the formation of stones in the future. So that's why it's so important to know what these stones were to then know how to help the pet minimize or prevent stone formation in the future. So uh, the common causes are many. It's metabolism, it's bacteria, it's the animal's own system. And of course, it is the uh, urinary pH that contributes it. And that comes from diet. Ah, from Mama Sue, saw black pug at the farmer's market yesterday. 1.30 p.m. was 90 degrees, and the dog was panting so hard, and she, I mean, and they weren't offering any water. So it is really frightening. You have to also please read your dogs, read their behavior, read that panting. And are they in direct heat? What color are they? Again, black is uh, absorbs a lot of that heat. But fortunately, the coat will protect. But when I walk my dogs, when I five, one's a Frenchie. And he knows when it's time to sit down because he will find a nice patch of grass. And he will not just sit. He will lie down with all feet, the front feet this way, the back feet that way. So his whole abdomen and ventrum is in the grass. And when they do that, let him rest. He finally will find a spot usually in shade, on the grass, and, and so he knows he needs to take a break. And he's a Frenchie. My other dogs are fine, but Frenchies are notorious. They got the short face. They pant a lot anyway. He had already had, I did surgery on him uh, a number of years ago for his palate, but even still, when they get really excited and really hot, this <laughs> turns into this. <laughs> and when that happens, you got to know that they're having a tough time. Okay. So if there are any other questions, you need to get a hold of me. You know how to do it. You just reach me on Instagram. Uh, you can just send me a text, send me a chat here at Pet Life Radio. Send me an email to Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com, and uh, I will be happy to answer your questions. Otherwise, I will not be here next week traveling, unavailable for, on both Instagram and Pet Life Radio. So we'll see you back here two weeks, 14 days, same bad time, same bad channel here on Pet Life Radio, here on Instagram Live. And for anyone who needs to get a hold of me, you know how to do so. So have a great week, everybody. Or in this case, have a great two weeks, everybody. And we will uh, we'll see you here too. All right. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.